0: Good morning, guys. Every time I speak, every time I speak at Hume especially, I'm always most anxious about the first like 30 seconds because I have no idea what to say. So I do the same thing every single time. If you guys remember me from last summer, the same thing I do every time is just tell you what I'm about, why I'm here, and why this time is important. Um, I'm not clever enough, I'm not funny enough. Uh, to be able to like hook you in with some sort of crazy story. I'm just, I am just go straight at it. But you know, every single time I speak at Hume, um, the most consistent feedback I get from students is this. They say, Sam, you feel so relatable. I feel like I can connect with you. And usually when people say they can relate with you, it's because you have something in common with them. So I'm always, com- I, I, I've always confused when people would say that. I'm saying, so so you feel relatable to a 34-year-old Korean American, you know? Like, what, you have four kids, right? Uh, you're sixth grade. Like, what, how are you feeling connected to me? And, and, and so over uh, the last few years, I, I think I figured out why students seem to connect with me. And this is, this is what I'll say. I actually believe this stuff right here. I believe it, all of it. And I actually believe I need it. See, the thing is, when I speak anywhere, whether it's my home church in Minneapolis or if it's here with you, I actually believe that I'm under this and so I'm a servant to you. I don't feel like I'm better than you. I have great respect for each of you. I have great love and affection for you. I know that that's hard to believe. If you just met me, you're like, man, there's no way you could love me. Man, I feel like I'm starting to like rhyme because of that that, that, uh, thing I just heard. But I genuinely love you. I think people feel that. And I think people feel and know that I genuinely don't think I'm any better than you. And so as I share with you, I'm sharing from a place of, I need this too. This has changed me and I wanna share the good news with you all week long. And so just basic stats about who I am, uh, my name is Sam Choi. I grew up in California and Georgia, and I just kind of rep which, one ever, which whatever I feel like that day, um, kind of split between. And for the last nine years, I've been living in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I've been married for 11 years. 11 years? Thanks, honey. 11 years. And we have four beautiful children that you probably have seen already, and so make sure you're uh, kind to them. I will find out. And... Um, <laughs> I I love them so much, and I'm so glad they're here. I'm really glad I'm here, and I'm really glad you're here. But I get that you're here for different reasons. I understand that you're here all all over the map. Some of you are here because you're so excited. You want to grow. You want to get closer to God. Um, Some of you are here because you were forced to be here by your parents. I get that. Some of you are so glad you're here because you're trying to get away from the nightmare that is your home, and I get that. And some of you chuckle, but that's real. I grew up in a home where um, whenever my dad came home, I tensed up. Everybody tensed up because I knew that if they made one wrong step, one mistake, then my dad could just explode, if anybody knows what that's like. My parents almost got in a divorce every week of my life, and I'm, that's not an exaggeration. Every week almost of my life, divorce is on the table. So my parents are still married, and God has redeemed their marriage by God's grace, after decades of fighting, decades of anger and abuse, but I grew up in a kind of home like that, and so when I would go to a camp like this, it was like, it, it was like Disneyland for me. I didn't really care about the chapels, all that kind of stuff. That was all on the side. I, I just wanted to be with my friends, and I wanted to get away from the oppression of my home, and I get some of you guys are in that place, and I'm really, really sorry that you're in that place. I really feel for you I really know what that's like. And I really hope you find relief this week and more than just relief, freedom this week. And I, and I know some of you here, <laughs> hopefully not too many of you, were, were, were deceived to be here. <laughs> Someone tricked you to be here. Hey, there's this cool camp. We play paintball. We do all these fun things. And then you show up and they're like doing this dance and they're singing about you. You're like, this is Jesus camp? What? And if they deceived you, that's wrong. I'm really sorry they did that. That's messed up. But you're here. So I'm glad you're here. So sorry, but not sorry. They shouldn't do that. That's if you deceive people and you try to trick them and bait and switch them to come to church, hey, there's really cute girls. You should come to this thing. You know, don't do that. But if you are here because of that, you're here. And all that to say, let's make the most of our time together. You are here. You will be here for the next, what, six days, I want to make the most of it. Wouldn't it be great for the next six days that this would actually be eternally significant? Life-changing. We, that can actually happen. But it takes two to tango. What I mean by that is no matter how eloquent I am or how thoughtful or intellectual or clear of a speaker I am, if your heart is not open, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. And so even if you are a skeptic, and if you're a skeptic, I'm so glad you're here. I mean it. If you have doubts about God, you think this is all a fairy tale, whatever it is, wherever you are, or you're, you're just really in love with Jesus and you've never been closer, wherever you are on that spectrum, I want to pray with you that God would speak to all of us. Because if you're here, let's make the most of it. And so could you just pray for a few moments, just say with me, just pray, saying, God, if you're real, so, so I just ask you to close your eyes, If you you can, and I'm I'm asking you to close your eyes, not to manipulate, but just so we can get quiet. In a room this size with this many people, it's easy to get lost and get caught up with who's sitting next to you, but just for a second, you can just be in your own little closet for a second, closing your eyes. And if you would just be so bold and humble to ask, God, if you're real, would you speak to me this week? Would you meet me where I'm at? In my doubts, in my sin, my shame, And my struggle, would you speak to me this week? Would you just ask him that? Would you humble yourself to even ask the God of the Creator of all to say, Would you speak to me this week? Teach me something new about you, teach me about myself. So, Father, I I hope that many students just prayed, and I pray, and I hope that their hearts are increasingly open to you and what you want to say this week. And I pray that I would be a faithful conduit of truth, that you would speak through me and I would be able to serve these students and these leaders well this week. That I'd be a faithful messenger of truth, that there would be no deceit in me, no manipulation in me, but truth would come from this stage all week long. And so I pray that you'd meet every student here right now there are so many broken situations at home, so much anxiety, so much depression, so many doubts. And it makes sense because this world is falling. And so we're gonna struggle. And so, who, wherever people are, would you meet them right now, Lord? And I pray in the name of Jesus against every demonic force that tries to destroy these students, even if they don't even know the evil one is after them. I pray in Jesus' name that you would break that and that truth would reign in their hearts and in my heart in this whole camp. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so on this, uh, along the lines of introduction, I just want to remind you or tell you what to expect from me. I will not treat you like kids. I hated it. When I was in high school when people treated me like I was a kid. I hate it today because the reality is I look young, okay? And I get this all the time. I've been playing golf in the last few years. I picked it up because of COVID. I'll, I mean, I played with this guy the other day and he's like, oh, are you in high school? What, you got, did you get off early period or something? I'm like, dude, I got four kids, man. What's wrong with you? You're never around Asian people? Gosh, man. <laughs> I swear, I get it all the time, man. And so I get it. I don't like when people talk to me like I'm little, all right? I'm young. And so I'm not going to treat you that way. I'm going to speak in a way that is intelligible and accessible to you, but I'm gonna be, it's going to be demanding of you to, to lock in, to, 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 to dig deep and think hard. And I know in our culture, we have TikTok, we have little things, and, 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 and advertisers have fine-tuned the art of getting your attention and try to tell you something in like few seconds. And so your whole life you've been trained to think in few seconds and that's hard, but I'm gonna ask you to think longer than a few seconds. I'm gonna ask you to have a a greater attention span than a goldfish, okay? Which is the um, attention span of the average American now, okay, it's like a gold, or I think it's a little less than a goldfish, okay? So I'm I'm gonna ask a lot of you, and I'm gonna hopefully meet you where you are at. Okay, so let me start with this theme as we've been talking about truth. What is truth? I wanna start off with some basic philosophy. My forte is getting you into the word. But before we do, I want to intro into some some foundational realities. How do we even think about truth? How do we know something is true? So when you hear the word truth, what does that mean? Well, I was Googling and trying to figure out what does the world say? Because if you look up what is truth, you're going to get a bunch of Christian websites. Unless Google Analytics have tagged me as a Christian, I think the average person, if you look up what is truth, you're going to get a ton of Christian websites. So the first non-Christian website I found was a philosopher's website. And they had a magazine, and one philosopher said this. It's, there's a quote on the screen, hopefully. And this is what the philosopher said. Yes? No? Maybe so? Yay! Okay. So he answers the question, what is truth? Uh, the one before. Nope. Okay, I'm going to just read. Nope. Nope. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. This is what the philosopher said, okay? This, we need the attention span. Truth is unique to the individual. No truth can be objectively verified, empirically or otherwise. And the criteria, criteria by which we define truths are always relative and subjective. The lack of objective truth leaves us free to carve our own truths The lack of eternal, and here's the quote now finally comes up, I think. The lack of eternal, immutable truths allow us to create what is true for ourselves. Truth is mine. My truth and your truth have no necessary relevance to each other because truth is subjective. It can play a much more unique and decisive role in giving life meaning. I'm utterly free to choose my truths, and in doing so, I shape my own life. How does that sound to you? Some of you think that sounds ridiculous. Some of you proudly say that sounds great. And some of you don't realize that you think this is true. You functionally live like this is true. Though you may verbally affirm biblical truths and a biblical worldview, you functionally live like this is truth is this is what is true, is shape your own truth. We are the ones who can say what reality is. And so I think the problem with our understanding of truth can be explained by understanding the difference between ice cream and insulin, okay? Track with me for a second. I I learned this from a guy named Greg Kokel, okay? So let me help you understand something. What if I made such a crazy statement like this, okay? strawberry ice cream is better than chocolate ice cream. Yeah? Yeah? Who's with me? Who's with me? Yeah. Okay. So my wife disagrees with me. Every single time we go to ice cream, it's always a struggle because I want something fruity. Okay. I'm into the fruit. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Just insert joke there. Right. And Joanna, my wife, is into chocolate because she's a woman, okay? I know I'm being stereotypical, but some, for some reason, women tend to love chocolate. Is it, am I right, kind of? Yeah, kind of? Yeah, okay, stereotypes means there are always exceptions, but you know what I'm saying? Now, I am declaring a statement, and I believe it's true. Strawberry is better than chocolate, and yet, many of you disagree. Who disagrees with me? Oh, goodness, man. Oh. I gotta pray for you guys, right? Now, a lot of you disagree with me, and would it be appropriate if I said, all of you who disagree with me are a bunch of sinners and going to hell, right? That would be inappropriate, right? All of us intuitively, and some of you guys who love strawberry are like, no, that is right on, right on. (laughs) You keep saying the truth, brother. You hold fast, right? But all of us intuitively understand when we're talking about chocolate and vanilla or strawberry... We're not elevating to the stakes of heaven or hell or sinner or good or not, right? We get that. You may joke, but we understand that we're not going to go there for something like ice cream. Now, how can both statements be true or both realities be true? How can it be true to me that strawberry ice cream is superior to chocolate? And yet to some of you, you think the complete opposite. You think that statement's false. You think that chocolate is the best. How can both statements, and perspectives be true at the same time? Well, the object stays the same, ice cream, but what changes is the subject, me or you. You Did you guys learn that in school? I know that you guys are COVID students, right? So you're like a couple years behind. But you guys learned subjects and objects. Sorry, I don't mean to be insulting, but like the data is real. You guys are struggling, right? I'm sorry, man. Okay, so the subject changes... one person eats the ice cream, another person eats the ice cream, the subject's changing, but the ice cream stays the same. So what changes in both statements or true statements? The subject. The person changes and therefore their idea or their true statement changes based on who it is. Because ice cream flavors are not something that are right or wrong. So we understand from this illustration that a thing can be true for the subject, and that is why it is called what? What kind of truth? Who said that? Say it loud. Subjective Subjective truths. Subjective truth. So based off the subject, the truth changes. So that's the first kind of truth. Ice cream truth. Subjective truth. Now, what if I then made the claim to diabetics? You understand diabetics type one or type two, they need insulin. And insulin helps them regulate their blood sugar. And if they don't have their blood sugar regulated, they could have significant problems in their body and even die. Anybody know a diabetic? Right, it's a, dang, okay, yeah. We Americans, you know, we, we, we know diabetics, right? So so you guys know how real it is. A diabetic getting the wrong kind of medicine is, is not a laughing matter. Now what if I made this statement, listen, diabetics here, or any of you guys who know diabetics, you don't need insulin anymore. All you need to do is eat tons of strawberry ice cream. It will cure you. You will lose weight. You will get the life you want. All your dreams will come through, right? All right? What if I made that statement? That strawberry ice cream can cure your diabetes and now you can be healed and you don't need insulin anymore. Who thinks that's a true statement that I just said? Right, nobody, nobody here. Nobody here thinks that. We realize that this is not about the subject anymore. It's not like person A can think that strawberry ice cream can heal and person B doesn't think, and that's fine. Both A and B are equally valid. No, we understand that in cases about insulin, what's important is the objective truth, the objective reality. And the object would be insulin and how it is received by the diabetic. All of you intuitively know that a lot is at stake. If you are wrong, if I am wrong about my statement, it could kill someone. And if you're a diabetic here and you're like, man, Sam, that sounds really good. I really like the idea about eating lots of strawberry ice cream. The insulin, this little pack, I'm i not into that anymore, you know? I feel it in my gut that you are right, Sam. And listen, if I am wrong, you could die, (laughs) and it does not matter how you feel, it doesn't matter what your gut tells you, I am wrong. And if I were to continually say I am right, what would we have to do? We would have to weigh the evidence. See, that's what you do regarding objective truths in life. Matters that, that are of huge importance you don't just say, well, I say this, you say that, that's fine. No, 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 no. You weigh the evidence. Say, okay, let's, let's do a study where we get a bunch of people with strawberry ice cream and a bunch of people with insulin. Let's see what happens, right? You, you do a study, you weigh the evidence, and at the end of the day, you can come up with a conclusion about what is true. In a subjective claim, it's neither true nor false. True or false is not even in the equation. That's not even on the table because ice cream... It doesn't matter if it's true or false. Strawberry chocolate, that's fine. You're missing out, but that's okay, right? It's okay, it's just ice cream. But when we talk about objective claims, it's either true or false. True or false, truth and lies are on the table. So there are two ways something can be true. Truth in an ice cream kind of a way we can differ on something and it's based on the subject, based on the eyes of beholder. And we don't have to get mad at each other. It's okay. It's preferential. That's fine. Or we can talk about truth in an insulin kind of way. And in this case, the right or wrong answer matters deeply. See, our culture, our world is very confused by these categories. We treat objective insulin kind of truths, like ice cream kind of truths. And we do the opposite. Many people don't say Christianity is true or false anymore. In fact, if you talk to some skeptics on the street, they'll say, yeah, 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 you're right about Christianity, Sam. You're right for you, but it's not true for me. You're right, Sam, but just for you. See, no longer do we use these true or false statements in general when when we talk about religion or morality or purpose or the things that really, really matter. True and false are no longer on the table. We are treating it like ice cream. We're treating it like preference. But those are not ice cream matters. When someone says, Sam, yeah, Christianity is true to you, but it's not true for me. What are they doing? Are they treating it like ice cream matter or insulin matter? Ice cream cream matter. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Great for you, Sam. As long as it makes your life happy, as long as it works for you, then it's true. That's a pragmatic theory of truth. I'm trying to explain philosophical theories of truth without using those terms. But what you have to understand and what you're going to see increasingly this week as we dive into the Gospel of John is that the claims of Christ are not preferential. They cannot be preferential. He says two crazy of things for you to be like, oh yeah, that's crazy. you feel that way, Jesus. you know, But I don't feel that way. Either what he says is true or it's false. And so this week, you're at a decision point in your life. You have to look at the claims of Christ this week and have to decide, are you gonna take his, him at his word or is he a liar? You can't stand in the middle. You can't be like, you know, Jesus has a cool guy. I'm sure he's a good teacher. And maybe one day I'll think about him. You have to decide what you believe about what he says. Is it true or not? Because what we're talking about, is insulin kind of truths, objective truths. Either Jesus is God and he's going to come back and right every wrong and justice will reign through him. And he's going to judge every wicked person and all the righteous he will redeem on this renewed earth. Either that's true or I'm just making that up. There's no in-between. So this week we're going to go deeper into the Gospel of John. It's a long book. And so I can't cover it all. If you want to go through the Gospel of John, you need at least 30 sermons. I have six with you. So I'm going to hit some main themes and we're going to be fine. But I'm going to try to focus on the most important things for you this week. And here's the deal. There are going to be times where I'm going to say things from this that you're, you are going to love. You're going to love. Your heart is going to soar. Something's going to stir in your heart. You're going to be like, yes, that's true. That's good. That's what I want. That's what I long for. And then there are going to be times where I'm going to say stuff and you're going to get pissed off. You're going to get ticked off. How dare you say that, Sam? And whether you lo- love what I say or hate what I say, you need to ask yourself this simple question. Not do you like it or do you agree with it, but is it what? True, is it true? Is that true? Is that what this Bible says? Or is it my opinion? Or maybe I think it's true and I'm just deceived, which is possible. So I wanna challenge you to bring your Bibles to chapel. This morning and tonight are gonna be the most Bible light and I hate that because I'm a Bible guy. But I need to set some foundations. But I want you to have your Bibles open. If you can have your notebooks open or use your little program guide and take notes, check my work. Look at my references. Read them. Read the context. I could be deceiving you. As sincere I may seem. And as you see me play with my little girls, you're like, man, he's probably a pretty good guy. I'm actually a good guy, you know. But what if I'm not? What if I'm deceiving you? There are other guys in the world who historically have been really good at fooling people in the church. And the church has been really easy to fool. Because a lot of Christians don't know how to check the work. They don't have their Bibles open, so they're just like, "Uh uh-huh, whatever you say. Yep, uh uh-huh. Oh, your thoughts? Those are my thoughts. I have no thoughts of my own. Whatever you say, right? I want you to be independent thinkers and know your Bibles, open them, and check my work and say, did what he just say, is that true? Or is that his... His own little interpretation. He's twisting on this, okay? So with all that, let's look at a basic dictionary definition of truth, and from there, we're going to launch off. All right, there's a lot of introduction I just did. Hopefully, that was worthwhile. Only time will tell, okay? We'll see. Let me just show you an introductory kind of dictionary look. If you look in the Oxford Dictionary, it'll be on the screen. True. What does true mean? In accordance with fact or reality right? A true story, accurate or exact. It was a true uh, depiction. As a noun, truth, that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. So if you accept, or if you're going to just at least kind of rock with me for a minute, thinking that this is true, okay? Okay. If you accept this premise that that's true, true is reality with accordance with reality, right? This is real, it's true, it's truly here, I'm truly talking to you, right? If you accept that premise, then let me say this. So to understand what is true, we have to understand what is real. What is in accordance with reality? So what I wanna make a case for this morning is that reality is defined by God because he created it. Reality is defined by God because he created it. And furthermore, his character is trustworthy. So we can bank our lives on his every word. But how has God revealed himself? I mean, the things that we're talking about are not ice cream matters, right? They're insulin matters. How can we understand what he says is actually true? So this week, we're going to progressively explore the truths out of the Gospel of John of who God is what do we know about him, what he says about himself, what he says about you and your purpose, and the big questions in this world. And so let me start off with John chapter 1, verse 1. We're finally in God's word. Now, now in my happy place. All right, John 1, 1. Would you read this out loud with me? In the beginning, the word already existed. The word, okay, this, this sucks. Guys, listen, listen. You don't have to repeat after me or read it out loud, but I'm just asking you, would you do that with me? I, I mean, I, again, I know you guys are COVID students and everything, and reading skills are down nationwide, but if you are able to read and enunciate loudly, I want to encourage you to read out loud because there's power in God's word. And when you read out loud, I get to drink from this water bottle, and I lose my voice all the time, okay? So we need this to work, all right? You ready? <laughs> all right, would you read this to me? In the beginning, the word already existed. All right, yeah, public school, yeah. Or, or maybe you go to all private school and that's why you can read well. So, read good. Now, this passage here, there's a lot here, but does this sound familiar to you? In the beginning, sound familiar with you? We, we, Maddie just talked about it last night. You saw it in the opener. It, it, it all harkens back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John goes a different direction than Genesis 1. He doesn't change it, but he adds information that the original reader, uh, the original audience of the Torah would not know. He says that there was something called the Word, and the Word was already existing. It was already there with God. There's another person or thing besides God, and yet that person is God. Now, we're not going to get into the complexities of the Trinity, but I want to just establish that reality. In the beginning, there was a God, and he was just there. He always existed. This is is a mind-boggling reality to consider. This God and this word are always there. They're divine, and they're both uncreated. Can you imagine something not being created? Before your parents were born, before you were born, before the Civil War, before Julius Caesar reigned in Rome, before the Great Wall of China, before the pyramids, before the first recorded history of mankind in caves, before the dinosaurs, God was and never had a beginning. He was just there. This is one of the reasons why in the book of Exodus, Yahweh, God, identifies himself. He says, what is your name? He says, what does he say? I am. am. Not I was or will be or became, I am. He just existed. There was no beginning. And so what does this God do with the word? Look at John 1, 3, beyond the screens. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought life to everyone. Now, we'll get into the identity of the word in a minute, but please consider this. God created everything through this word. Everything, without exception. These words are emphatic. Nothing at all was created outside of this word. And not only was it created this life, this word gives life to everything. So if God created the world, and if you believe this world is real, and we're not in some simulation like the Matrix and all hooked up in a machine, and I'm just, just this made-up computer program, okay, if you, if you accept that premise, if you're on that page, come talk to me in, in private. That's some craziness we need to talk about. If you're there, okay, so if you accept that this is reality, we're in reality, woo-hoo, I'm here, it's real, okay? Then who is the author of reality? According to this passage, passage, God is. He is the author of reality because he's the creator of all things. So follow my logic slowly if you can. If truth is in accordance with reality, then whoever creates reality defines truth. Let me say that one more time, okay? If truth is in accordance with reality, then whoever creates reality defines truth. Does that make sense? Right? If you accept the premise that God is the uncreated creator of everything, then that means God defines truth. You may not agree with that. You may disagree. You may say, I'm an atheist. I'm agnostic. God's not real. Okay, great. That's fine if you believe that right now. Um, That's okay. Okay? Um, That's not okay, but it's okay. You know what I'm saying? I'm not mad at you. But can you at least follow the logic that if there was a God that created everything, then he created reality. And therefore, if he creates reality, then he gets to define what truth, truth is. right, are you with me, right? Atheists here or skeptics here, right? You can at least affirm that that logic is coherent and it follows. So if you accept that premise, then he defines truth. So whatever purpose he made you and me for is true purpose. However he defines good and evil is truly what is good and evil. And what is true about you is dictated about what God says is true about you. So if God is a creator, he defines truth. If we are creatures, created, all of you were created, right? All of you were born. You didn't just self-exist and birth yourself with a womb that you created, right? You came from something, someone. So if you are a creature, then you don't define truth because you don't create reality. Am I getting too heady, are you following? I'm trying to be simple. This is, this is hopefully logical. It would make sense For those who did not create reality to be able to dictate reality, right? But let's look at, in Genesis, the first co-opters of reality. The first people who would fight against reality. Maddie got into this. I want to touch it again because it's so important. Let's go back to the garden, okay? So shortly after the creation of the world, truth was redefined or challenged. So I want to paint the picture. So God, the uncreated one, creates the world, and it was very good, The world was not as it is right now. All the brokenness that you and I experience on the daily, that wasn't the case in the garden, okay? So God creates the world, it's very good, and he blesses man with crazy intimate access with him. So a lot of times people will say, especially kids, why can't we see God? Why is he invisible? Well, he wasn't. We had face-to-face access and communion with God at that time intimacy with God, and God didn't just create man just to hang out. He said, man, you're going to co-rule with me. We're going to reign, take dominion over this earth, spread my order and my goodness throughout this world from the garden from out, and he filled this garden with fruit trees and all kinds of beautiful things for them to do and enjoy and take pleasure in. He gave them a million yeses. Enjoy this, enjoy this, enjoy this, enjoy this, But but he gave them one no, right? Don't eat of this one tree. A million yeses. How many no's? One no. One no. Okay, keep that in mind. So in walks the serpent, the twister of truth and reality. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3, Genesis 3.1. Would you read this with me? The serpent was the shrewdest of all... Yeah. one of the most important things about going back to the garden account is what you will see is that the evil one, the enemy's tactics have never changed. They're the same. He starts off with questioning God's word. Did he really do that? You know? So it's just like if you tell a story and someone looks at you and they say, really? Like, really? Right? Like, no one likes when people do that to you, right? Really? Yeah, Sam? Right? So, the, Satan just kind of gives... Gives Eve a shrug. Really? He said, and he was like, oh, "I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess not. You know, right?" So he's questioning reality. And then verse two, Eve responds, "Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden." The woman replied, "It's only, but it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die." But then the serpent responds and says, "This, you won't die." The serpent replied to the woman. So this time, he elevates it, doesn't just question God's word, he straight up contradicts God's word and lies to her about it. But then he gets a little craftier. He's going to go low. He's going to go at the, he's going to get her to question the very motivation and the character of God. Look at verse five. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. See, the serpent's tactic here is that he then gets her to question the goodness and the character of God, the motivations of God. God doesn't really love you the way he ought to love you. He doesn't really have your back. He's stingy. Man, he's God and yet he can't even share that one little flimsy tree with you? Oh, he's not very generous. There's a million yeses in the garden and there's one no. And what Satan is doing, the serpent is doing, is trying to get her to fixate on that one No. Oh, yeah, you're right. God, God isn't very generous. He doesn't know what he's doing. He that my back. If you were, have been ever quick to judge the character, the goodness, the motivations of God and how he reigns and how he lives and how he goes about things in your life, believe it or not, you may be hearing the serpent whispering in your ear. I've done that so many times in my life and I still do it. And not just that, the serpent elevates his temptation. He tempts her to be like this, like God. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. Eve, you can decide what is good and evil. You can know things like God knows things. You don't need to go to him to tell you what is true. You can define truth. You could do a better job than him. I mean, you've been alive for like like a day, right? Like you know things. You watch YouTube. You know stuff, Right? You define truth. You take things in your own hands. You be the boss. Who is he to tell you the boss? He's just the creator. (laughs) Who who among us have not thought similar thoughts as well? (laughs) I still think these thoughts, still think these thoughts on occasion. Even though I've seen the faithfulness of Jesus for the last 20 years, (laughs) almost 20 years of following him, I still question his motivations and his goodness. And so because Adam and Eve did not trust God, they try to define reality, take the range of their life, be their own boss, and become like us. They lost everything. I can't get into it, but this was the fall that theologians call. It's the fall of everything. We lost, most importantly, direct access to God. We're no longer able to see him and have face-to-face communion with God. But also, as a result of that, all of creation was twisted and cursed. So everything has been touched by the curse. Everything. This is resulting in wars, Ukraine, and everything going on in Ukraine right now. It results in fighting. It results in divorces and broken homes and abuse, viruses, racism, selfishness, hatred, murder, strife, brokenness in our sexuality, brokenness in our emotions, brokenness in our relationships. Because of the fall, we have such a thing called depression and anxiety and insecurity, and our sexuality and our desires have been twisted, our, our self-understanding has been twisted, everything, our thinking has been twisted, everything results by, by this cursed, fallen world that we all make our home in, and many more things. See, when you try to remove God from his rightful place, it's ima- imagine like if you tried to take the core of the earth and removed it, right? What would happen if you were able to remove the earth's core, everything would just start falling in on itself. Everything would collapse in on itself. Everything would start to spiral downward. Maybe it could be okay for a little bit, but then eventually it would just start, everything would just fall apart. Nature would fall apart. Everything would fall apart. And that's what happens when you remove God from his rightful place, or at least you try to. Everything starts falling apart. And we all here, every one of you here, and me as well, have followed in the footsteps of Adam and Eve. We too are tempted to redefine reality, even though we are our own, we are cre- creatures. We are de- tempted to define and create our own truth. We're all lied time and time again by the serpent. Let me show a quick passage in John chapter eight, verse 44. This is about Satan. Satan, by the way, is another name for the serpent. It should be on the screen. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is John eight forty four. If you're taking notes, John eight forty four. So what does Satan do really well? Naturally, without thinking, he lies. He's the father of lies. And let me tell you something. I know this sounds sensational. You may be like, oh man, you're being over the top. But let me tell you this. Every single one of you here have been lied to. I've been lied to my whole life. Serp the serpent has been chirping in your ear your whole life about what God is like and what his motivations are and who you are, trying to twist God's word, trying to shape and mold and disciple your brain, your thinking about yourself, about God and this world. You have all been lied to. And one of my hopes this week is to redeem and come back against those lies with truth. Now, what is the true character of God? Like Satan tempts us to think about God and his character. What what is this true character of God? What if God is, is real? What if there is a God? He's a creator and that's all true, but he's actually messing with us. There's this great cosmic game, he's just great marionette, this puppeteer, and he has this great cosmic game. He's just playing, we're his playthings. He's just messing with us. He's actually a really cruel God, right? What what is his character light. I'm going to show you a few ch- quick verses that doesn't conclusively talk about all of his character, but the aspect of truth. Look at Numbers 23, 19. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read three verses very fast, and I hope you follow the themes. I think they're on the screen, but I'm going to figure out what's going on with my slides. and It's not their fault. They're, they're awesome. It's me. But would you read this out loud quickly? God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried through? All right, next verse, Titus 1-2. Would you read this? This, you, this side is kicking your butt. Okay, you guys, are, guys aren't reading well, come on. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. All right, one last one, Psalm 31-5. Into your hand I entrust my spirits, God of what? Truth. truth, right? Because King David knows that God is the God of truth, he can entrust in his entire life. I mean, David is being hunted like a dog. His life is at stake. This The stakes aren't low. It's not like he's at a Juana's or some Sunday school, and the stakes are him getting an ice cream cone or not If you get baptized because his parents want him to get baptized. No, the stakes are not that low. The stakes are high. David is about to die, and yet he can... Re- trust his entire life into the hands of God. Because why? Because God is the God of truth. He's trustworthy. He can trust him. He can take him at his word. So when God says that he loves us and he has good for us, we can know that he is trustworthy. We can take him at his word. But here's a tricky thing. We're gonna get to John 1 again. Despite the glorious reality about God, there is a problem that is the result of Adam and Eve's fall, their rejection of God, their rebellion. Let's go back to John 1. Here's the problem in the world. Here's the problem that we're all struggling with. They are in darkness. Look at verse 5, John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So, so let me make a couple quick points. We have two realities in this verse, darkness and light. Darkness is not what the world Darkness is what the world is in and light is what God is. We're not talking about physical light, but spiritual light. Light is also another way we talk about truth, right? What's the most common saying that we talk about light? Oh, it came to the light, right? Like something's hidden, something's secret, and it came to the light, finally exposed into the open. And then reality is exposed. Here's another verse, just rapid fire. Verse nine of chapter one. The one who is the true light who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So for there to be a true light, that suggests, suggests necessarily that there needs to be what kind of lights? False. false lights. Good. True, false lights. There are false lights. So makes no mistake. Let me tell you this. There's only one light, one truth in the world because God created all. He's the only truth. Everything else is false outside of him. And, and I know that that may sound arrogant. Oh, Sam, how can you say he's the only truth? Well, God is the created one. He could only be the only truth. How could he create lesser truths of himself, lesser realities? He is reality. He creates reality. It's not an arrogant kind of pompous claim to say that. It's just true. That's why we read in verse 5 that darkness cannot extinguish or overcome this light, no matter how false lights will try to compete with him. When all is said and done, listen, all of us here have questions, and one day when Jesus comes and we see him face to face, we will know all the truth will be exposed. All the darkness, all the lies about him, about us, will all be exposed in that moment. The darkness will not extinguish the light. But let's consider further what it means that we are in darkness, it implies that man cannot see rightly. What, what do I mean by that? You can't see well in a dark room. If, if, the, if a room is, if you've ever been in a room that's actually pitch black, there's literally no light in it, you can't see no matter how hard you try. If you can still see, there, that means there's still some light kind of leaking under, under, under the door. But true darkness, you can't see anything no matter how hard you try. And if man is in darkness and cannot see without outside light, that means that man will be consistently wrong about reality. Did you catch that? I know this is getting long. I'm about to lay in the plane, but stick with me for a minute, students. If man is in darkness and needs outside light to see rightly, then that means that man will consistently get wrong about reality because he's in darkness, unless an outside light comes. Right, have you guys ever seen like a prank show or seen one of those skits where a bunch of people are in a dark room and they're like grabbing different items and stuff and they're like, oh, this is a toilet, right? Right, and if you're watching from like, you know, one of those night vision goggles or they have it on the screen, everyone's, the, the, the audience is laughing, right? Because the person, uh, they're feeling, they can't see and feel is often real, right? They feel like this is true. This is a toilet. This is, I will now sit on this, right? Like they, they feel like this is true, and we all know that feel, at least theoretically no feel is not always real. And so we need outside light to give reality, to help us see correctly. Can you think of a time in your life where you felt like something was true, but it turns out it wasn't? Right? How many of you guys felt like Santa was real? Right? and I'm so sorry if I just busted it for you. <laughs> but your parents had enough years, okay? So that's them, that's on, that's on them, all right? But how many of you here as little kids felt in your bones, in your gut, with all your heart that Santa was real? Anybody? Oh, you guys are liars, liars, so many of you. You guys, you guys, you guys were up. The people weren't raising their hands are the people who were traumatized because they were up in the moon night with the cookies. And Daddy came down, and they're like, "Daddy, what are you doing?" Right. All of us felt that Santa was true or real, or you name the different thing—the Easter Bunny, or or the Tooth Fairy, or whatever it is. Now, but, but let's let's bring it to something a little bit more real. Haven't some of you here felt like you met the person of your dreams, and you were like, "They're the one." I don't know their name, but they're the one, right? I know they're the one. We're gonna get married. We met at Hume. We had this moment. We looked at a cross, and I just knew we're, we're, right? And if you've been, if you're a little older, you've had enough chance to think that multiple times. And every single time you're like, oh, man, you get to know the person, you're like, that person is crazy. I dodged a bullet. Thank you, God. (laughs) All of us know what that's like, feeling inside of our inside, saying, that's true. And then it turns out, "Mm, that's not true. Thank you, Lord. Because feel is not always real. That likewise, that's how mankind is in the dark without light. We trust our feelings and our sight. But according to this passage, you can't. You can't fully trust your feelings and sight because you're in the dark, even if you convince yourself you're not. So, so what's the only solution? We need outside light. So who's this light? Let's go back to identify this word. John chapter 1, verse 14. Would you read this out loud with me as I'm drinking some of this water? <laughs> did you read, the Word. Here's the beautiful truth about God. He did not let people just stumble around in the darkness, oh, 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 ow, you know, but He came down to the darkness. Did not stand up and say, all right. Getting closer, you can get it. Oh, that looked like it hurt. Oh, come on, you can do it. No, he entered into the darkness, brought his light, took on flesh, lived a normal mundane life, entered into our reality and brought light to the darkness. He got personal, took on our troubles, took on our pains so that we can have lights. And who is this word? Word. What does the passage say? Can you keep the passages up? He is the only son. and what is he like? He's full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and, truth. and I think we take this for granted. He could theoretically be full of vengeance and cruelty and lies. It is perfect, perfectly reasonable that there could be a creator and he could be evil and wicked, and he still would be true, because he would be a reality it would just be a miserable reality for all of us with no hope in sight. But that is not the reality. Jesus is full of grace and truth and that is what his character is like. And Jesus has this to say to all of us this week. John chapter eight, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So what will you do with this light this week? See, the problem is that not everybody wants the light. John chapter one, verse 11, he says this, he came to his own people and, the, and even they rejected him. And we're gonna talk about it in a few sessions why we hate the light. I pray that you this week would not reject this incarnated truth, but receive him this week. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1:18, that sinful people suppress the truth. I pray that this week that you would not suppress the truth, but you would receive the truth. And I also pray John chapter 8 verse 32, "And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, that you would know God, and you would know that He defines reality and you could finally let go of the burden and the challenge that you weren't meant to carry to define your own reality, to create your own truth, and you just let him be the definer of truth. You let him have his job back. And the freedom that is, the freedom of knowing truth and being delivered from all the bondage of lies that you have been shackled and I've been shackled under. But, but this week, I really wanna challenge you to be honest about where you are at. If you're struggling with God, if this is all a fairy tale to you, if you have doubts, you be honest with those doubts. Listen, God can handle Those doubts. He's not threatened or insecure. He's not like an insecure little junior hire. He can handle the doubts of his created. He can handle them. He can handle your questions, but be honest, be real, be humble about them. It doesn't shake him, he's secure. And for those of you who are Christians, my prayer is that this week you will grow deeper in knowing the truth and loving the truth and that would give you a rock-solid foundation in a world that does not know truth anymore and that that truth would radically shape you and that God would use you to be a conduit in the display of God's truth. Let's pray. Father, I gr- I'm grateful for this time to be with these students this week and like I've said so many times in private and with them, I want to be faithful with your truth. Lord, if there's anything that I said just now or this week that was not true, would you correct me and let every student know better? But everything that I said, if it's true, let it be like in the words of C.S. Lewis, there's a ring of truth to it, that you would be stirring into these students' soul that this is true and trustworthy and they could bank their hearts and their lives on it. Would you stir and work in every student as we have cabin time and all the different times that we have today? Would you work in people, help people be true, honest? Lord, I pray against the evil one who loves to lie and deceive. Even now, he's trying to fight against them. Pray that evil one would have no sway in their lives. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you that you did not leave us in the darkness, but given us your marvelous light. Pray that you'd have your way this week. Bless every student. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.